Well, it's coming next Saturday. It's a big event in our area. It's exciting. And you know what? It has its own genre of music. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Woodward Dream Cruise. And the music that we most often associate with that is what's called the oldies. Here are some of these titles that have to do with songs that are from the oldies. Number one hits, Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog, Via Con Dios, My Darling, Rock Around the Clock, and Shaboom. Those are deep lyrics. That's the stuff that you really hold on to. You know, I say that, oldies, but real oldies aren't just decades old. Not even just centuries old. We're talking about some things that are millennial old. In fact, there was a hymn that comes from the 14th century BC in Egypt that was written by Pharaoh Akhenaten about 150 to 200 years before the exodus of Egypt. Akhenaten had created a monotheistic society around only one of the gods of Egypt. It was the sun god at ten. And he wrote a hymn to a ten, which talks about how all things come from that God, the sun, and how all things live when the sun rises and die when the sun sets. I say that because Psalm 104, many scholars believe David is doing apologetics, meaning he is correcting those things from the past, especially that hymn to attend by Akhenaten, when he talks about what the true God has done. When he looks at the Creator versus the creation, looks at God the living God versus the Son God. You know, it's a marvelous psalm, and I'd like you to open with it. Either look in your Bible in front of you or take out your connection, and let's look at some of those verses today. As David writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about the majesty and the wonder of our God. He opens with verses that have to do with lights and clouds and winds, things that are full of life and full of energy, but not by themselves, David says. They are full because of the one who is involved in them, that God writes on, rides on the winds of the, of the world and that clouds encompass him and that light is his chariot. David wants us to see in those opening verses that the God we worship is indeed great and powerful and the author of all things. It's interesting also that in some of those opening verses, David is directly paralleling in his words the words that we would find in Genesis. For instance, David says this, he stretches out the heavens like a tent. He sets the earth on its foundations. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. And now hear the opening verses to Genesis. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. David goes on. But at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. And hear Genesis. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. 
God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters He called seas. And God saw that it was good. What an incredible picture David paints, the wonders of God and all that He has done. As he says, this is who we worship, not the sun god akin. David goes on then to acknowledge our Creator as its bountiful provider in giving all things. He talks about what God has made and how He supplies in the next verses. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. They give water to all the beasts of the field. They quench their thirst. Birds of the sky nest. The land is satisfied by the fruit of His work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. David paints for us a wealth, a wealth of abundance of God's creation for all that God has created. He goes on from there to talk about the sun and the moon, those creations of God that he has set in order to keep rhythms for us of the seasons, of the days, of the hours. But they are there not to be worshipped. They are there for his creation and that he has created those things. And then David comes upon verse 27 as he looks to God. And he says this, All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And I want to ask the question this morning as we think about that verse. How often do we in our lives realize our need for God's provision? And I don't mean the extra things when we are praying for miracles of healings and God's intervention in our lives, but I mean the everyday things that we get up every morning and live our lives and go to bed. How often do we realize that it is God who provides those needs? I think, in fact, we don't. And Luther captures this very well in the following words on the screen. He says this, God's wonderful works, which happen daily, are seldom considered. Not because they are not important, but because they happen so constantly and without interruption. Man is used to the miracle that God rules the world and upholds all creation. And because things daily happen, it seems insignificant. No one thinks it is worthwhile to meditate upon it, or to regard it as God's wonderful work. And yet it is a greater wonder than when Christ fed 5,000 with five loaves and made wine from water. Those are powerful words that Luther pens there, that we don't consider what God does for us every day that we move and live and breathe. You know, we pray in the Lord's Prayer one specific petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Give, we pray. David is saying, and God does that. God does give. He gives us all that we need around us everywhere. God provides for his creation. He provides for you and me. And it is a wonder. And David goes on to say that when you provide, he says, and when you give it to them, they gather it up. 
God gives us those provisions. They are available to us every day that we, we live, and they come from God. But there's something important when, God, when David says, and we gather it up. You see, God giving to us and providing for us is not supposed to be a labor-saving device for us. We, like all the creatures that God has created, are expected to participate in the provision that He has given us. We, like them, need to gather. You know, I don't know how many times you ever sit maybe on your back deck or somewhere else that you have a place just to look at nature, to watch, to watch the birds as they go about getting food and worms and seeds, to watch animals and squirrels as they gather nuts and bury them, and even insects and ants as they carry along the provisions that they find. They work all the time to eat what God has provided. But they do not expect that that providing God would put the food into their mouths. And neither should we in our world. David says, when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. And that's a word I think that's hard for us to get our arms around. In the world that we live, in our society that values so much having more than being satisfied, satisfied, desiring no more than what God provides. You know, again, looking at God's creation, looking at nature, so often I feel put to shame as I watch those birds and animals gather. There's no complaining on their part that there isn't enough. There's no dissatisfaction over what they find that it isn't exactly the right thing in their lives. And there's no desire on their part to build bigger barns, to store up those things that God has given. God opens his hand and provides, and they are satisfied with what he gives. And I think the problem is that we gather so much and store it up for ourselves that we stop looking to God as the provider of all things because we've taken on his very role in our lives by storing it up, by taking it, by having such abundance. We no longer, as Luther says, look to God. We find it insignificant because we have it. We possess it. We don't look that it is God who has provided it. God designs and sustains and creates this world to provide enough food for all its creatures everywhere. And it is only because of man's greed and desire and selfishness that there is hunger in this world from those who have held on to things. In fact, St. Augustine says it very well in the following words. Find out how much God has given you, and from it take what you need. The remainder which you do not need is needed by others. Those who keep what is over their need possess the goods that others need. How profound that is to be people who are satisfied satisfied with what God gives us because he does provide. He will not let his children go without. It is there in abundance in our world. And one more thing in 
the next verse that David says, when you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. And I think also as we look at God's creation, it is important for us to have the realization that what we confess in the words of the Nicene Creed in that third article, when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. You see, Akhenaten looked at the Son as the giver of life, not realizing that it is just but a tool in God's creation, providing warmth and light and all of those things. And that life itself, all life, comes from God's Spirit. And His Spirit being here that He sends out upon the earth. And again, so often we look and we call it nature. We plant a seed and it grows. And we say it's because it has water and it has earth and it has sun. But what is it that sets a dormant seed that is dead into motion? What is it that science goes on and uses again and again as they clone and take cells? Maybe someday they'll get to the point where they'll create a cell structure and membrane on their own and not use something that exists. Maybe they'll be able to fill it with protons and neutrons and electrons, all those things that are needed. But will they be able to set it all in motion? And if they do, is that really life on a cosmic scale? Is that the life that God breathes into his creation by his spirit, sustaining everything, creating everything, empowering everything? We live because the spirit is among us. We grow, things grow and renew in our world because the spirit is in the world. All of these things happen because God has not removed his spirit, but if he ever would, all life would cease. Do we realize that in the days that we live and move? Day after day, year after year, eon after eon, creature after creature, it doesn't just happen, it be happens because God is involved in his creation providing, sending his spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Truly all this is a wonder of God's provision, of how God cares for what he created, of how God loves all that he has done, of how he feeds it, sustains it, and gives it life. But how much more then is the provision that God gives us to his people? gives to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, the bread of life that comes down from heaven, that we might truly be fed on him. He alone is the one that can give us that life, eternal life. We cannot manufacture the bread of life. We cannot hoard it. We cannot store it up. We must look to him alone to give to us that which gives us true life. He alone can give life to bodies that have returned to dust of the earth to raise us up on the last day. His Spirit alone is the very thing that can give us new life through the waters of baptism, that can give life to bodies dead with sin. Jesus gave his life that we might live in him, live not just a life sustained in creation, but a life eternal a life blessed with his presence, his forgiveness, 
and his grace. May we then sing a song with David as he closes out the psalm in these words. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Amen.